Hello everyone, this is a Bridges okay. of Meaning Discord conversation. I'm Job and today my guest is Argyris, also known as Jacob, or the other way around, whatever you prefer. Hi Jacob, what brings you to the Discord? Hey, um, so I started coming on this Discord. Um, I'm, I'm on the Discord server for Eric Weinstein, the, the portal. Uh-huh. And um, Paul actually showed up on that Discord, which was really nice. Um, and that's how I found out that Paul has a Discord server as well. And so I ended up also joining Bridges of Meaning. I haven't been to the portal server. Is it very different from this one? It is very different from this one. <laughs> um, so Eric... Well, first of all, that place is unique because Eric shows up in the voice chat basically on on a daily basis, sometimes several times a day. Um, and so there's also a ton of people there. Uh, and it's it's a project-based server. I mean, the the point is to they have a bunch of projects that are they're working on. And the point is for people to actually work and get those projects done. So um, very different telos. And I mean, most of the people on there are atheists. And um, that, that's always a very different environment. You know, a religious community versus a, an atheist or slash even just secular community, uh, I think it's a very different feel. Right. And, and you would consider the, this community a religious community? Bridges of meaning? Yeah. I mean, um, so I think the big difference between um, someone who is religious um, as opposed to somebody I would say isn't religious is the idea that there's something greater outside of yourself. And when you're having discussions with somebody who believes there's something greater outside of themselves that they can discover that um, there's a demand on you um, to, you know, kind of try to conform to the demands of, well, I would call it God, um, then it's, it's a very different experience. Um, I think... You know, Dennis Prager, I don't know if you've, you've heard of him. He's a he's mm-hmm. a talk show host. Right. Right. So uh, he's really big in Los Angeles, where I live. And um, he says, you know, like the verse says, Reshit Chochmah Yirat Hashem, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And he always says, you know, there's a reason why there's no wisdom at the universities, because there's no fear of God in the universities. Uh, and I, I, I just think that's so true. You, I don't think you can, I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm sure the Sam Harris types will, will bristle at this, <laughs> but at the same time, I think Sam Harris is proof of it. Y- you might be really, really smart, but you're not going to have wisdom. You can't have wisdom without a belief in God. So, 
How do you think that works for universities then? If they don't have fear of God, what do they fear? I, I don't think they fear anything. I think that's part of the reason they're so corrupt. I mean, people, they, they think that... You, you see this all the time. Um, people who, you know... Atheists like to say that there's no, you know, that that there's no correspondence between the deaths that were caused in the 20th century by Marxists and by um, by fascists with being atheists. And I disagree completely. I think, you know, there is in order to do evil on that scale. You have to believe that there's nothing greater than yourself, that you you understand it all. You know, um, Paul Pot killed all those people because he thought he was making the world a better place. And same thing with Hitler and, you know, all of these people. When you believe that there's something greater than yourself, you're willing to take a look at what you're doing and ask yourself, is this right? Is this, you know, should we continue? Um, when you're not willing to do that, you're, you're going to end up with the craziness that we have in our universities. And honestly, our universities started out kind of like monasteries, you know, they were religious institutions. Mm -hmm. And and as long as they still had God there, they, they still had wisdom. Um, I think theism is incredibly important. I think we need to actually be going out there and fighting for theism and specifically for monotheism. Um, I've, I've started kind of calling myself um, a, an Abrahamist, right? Um, because I, I just think at this point, um, all the Abrahamic religions, Baha'i, Judaism, Christianity, uh, Islam, hopefully, um, all of us need to just really hammer home this idea that there is one God, that God is ineffable, that God is infinite, and that God rules the world, is the creator of this world, and um, is in this world, right? I, I call myself a panentheist, if, if anybody's aware of that. Um, and I, I think, you know, it is incredibly important. I don't care what your what your con conception of God is, because we are finite beings, and God is infinite, and we cannot have an accurate conception of God. That's just impossible. So I don't care what your conception of God is. I care. I think everybody needs to know that there is one God, um, and I think that's so important. And I think. I honestly believe that all the craziness we see in the world comes from a lack of understanding that there is one God. Um, I think all knowledge, I, I think human civilization flows from the idea of 
one God. Do you think, to push back a bit, do you think we could ground it in, let's say, a, a form of secular humanism? Let's say we would ground it in the idea of, um, uh, as far as that is transcendent, the idea of human dignity? No. <laughs> um, so let me, let me just be really specific about what I mean by God. Okay. Um, so one of the Jewish practices that I have always kept as, since at least high school um, is that I don't actually write the word God. I write G-D, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, uh, religious Jews do. And because I, I want to keep that flavor of the ineffable nature of God, the infinite nature of God. Um, and, you know, I, I think we spend way too much time thinking we understand God. Um, we don't. And I think it's incredibly important. You know, the atheists get really mad when, when they ask Jordan Peterson about God and he gives them a bunch of definitions and, and they think he's being evasive. No, he's not being evasive. Um, he's, he's being very, very honest. He's being true to the um, Abrahamic conception of God, the ineffable. And I think it's, it's incredibly important to focus on the ineffable nature of God and to recognize it because um, I would make a comparison to like a variable in mathematics, right? You can do arithmetic with individual numbers. You can't do algebra with numbers. You can only do algebra with variables. And you need that concept of the variable to help orient you, right? Once, once you have x, you can say x squared or 2x or the square root of x. Without that, you, you don't have the orientation. And God, more than anything, as a concept, is an orientation, right? So that, no. Jordan Peterson is not being evasive at all. In fact, somebody who has a more solid definition of God, uh, I would actually call it idolatry. They think they understand the nature of God. And that's, <laughs> that's automatically, whatever your definition is, it's wrong. Just like somebody who tells you they can write down the number pi, right? Can you can you write down the number pi? If you if you think you can, then that just means you don't know what pi is. Hmm. Have you seen the movie Pi, the black and white movie? Uh, oh, was it, was that the one with the Orthodox Jews? Yes. Oh God. Made me think of how um, you mentioned pi, like oh yeah, that, that that was a weird movie. I remember watching it years and years ago. Yeah, and and there was another. There's a Coen Brothers movie more recently. Apparently, I, I watched both of them. Oi, vey. Um, <laughs> uh, so so. 
uh, uh, to, to, to stay with the God subject for a second. Uh, uh, so God is ineffable, uh, basically infinite, omnipresent. How can we know anything about God and how do you get them? Some, don't you run into some sort of problem that you need either general or special revelation? I mean, because how, how should we... How should we uh, approach this God and what, what would this God like, to put it lightly? Okay, so um, I, this is my favorite parable. Um, and when I was thinking about what I would say in this conversation, um, the, this parable was, was, was what I wanted to make sure to, to say because I, I think it is just so important. Okay? okay. Go ahead. Um, so there, there's a man who hears that there is a very sweet fruit off in the distance. And he decides that he's going to search out this fruit. And as a young man, he starts asking around about this fruit. Um, he, he goes from city to city. He crosses deserts. He crosses mountains. He crosses... Uh, you know, uh, sees, ports, uh, speaks to sages. After 40 years, as an old man, he arrives at the top of a mountain. And there's the tree there. And it's bearing fruit. And he sees the fruit, and he grabs it, and he tastes it. And he thinks to himself, this was worth the 40 years that I spent to, uh, to get here. And just when he does that, a young boy comes up and also picks a fruit and eats it. And the man turns to the young boy and says, how did you, how did you get here? I, I spent 40 years searching for this place, and how, how did I get here? How did you get here? And the, um, and the little boy says, I was born here. Now, we can argue over whether that young boy is able to eat the fruit and get the same joy out of it. Because ultimately, that search which the old man had was, you know, this is a very deep parable. Um, that search that, that that old man had, possibly that was the whole point, not the actual fruit at the end. And that young boy, yeah, he has this fruit, but now having, you know, gotten there, he has to go he has to find his search in his life, right? I think it's, it's um, a coincidence that every religion I've ever uh, looked into, um, and I've looked into a lot of them, uh, describes itself as a path, right? It's a journey. It's, it's, it's the way. It's, it's the walking and the searching. Um, you you can't you just try right and and you spend your life trying um and hopefully you get closer and you learn 
Um, but, you know, that's all you can do because ultimately we're finite creatures and God is infinite. Um, and we were actually discussing this on the server um, yesterday, I think. Uh, Might have been the day before yesterday. Um, there's a verse uh, in Deuteronomy which says, Veshavta ad Hashem elokecha, um, and you shall return onto, um, and, and the word onto there doesn't doesn't really translate well to English, um, onto the Lord your God, right? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, what, what does it mean to return to God, right? When God created us, he, he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, right? Um, and the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, we might have to talk to, about Lubavitch, but one of the uh, things that the first Lubavitcher Rebbe um, said based on earlier writings is, uh, The one who breathed, breathed deeply from, from the inside, right? And, and that's the concept of the breath, right? What is a breath? It's something that comes from deep within you, right? Um, and I think with this uh, current situation, we're, we're, we're actually considering that more than we usually do. Um, so God breathed a soul into us, right? Um, that, that spark of, of godliness, of holiness, um, and made us into his image, whatever that means, right? Um, so there is that spark trying to get back to God. Um, and, but God ultimately is infinite. So it's no matter who you are, it's going to be a journey, right? Because sure, but, but you sort of need yeah. to know where, where you're going. I mean, there's a gazillion paths. I mean, for lack of a, a better example, there might be a path where I just lay on the couch and eat chips all day. How can I know which path I should be walking? You, you have to... So I, I seriously believe this. Um, I think people generally know what's right. I guess there, there might be some psychopaths out there who don't. But I think for the vast majority of people... We know what we wish we would do. Um, I certainly know that, you know, I, I wish I was able to get myself to do all the things that my soul knows I should do. Um, and honestly, I think anybody who tells you that they do everything they believe is right, this, this was the one thing I used to say. I, I, I used to be a youth uh, pastor. Um, this is what I would say to all, all the students I spoke to. Um, I'm not asking you to do what I say is right. I'm asking you to do what you think is right. And keep on doing that. Um, and I have faith. And I really do have faith that God will 
guides everyone who wants to do good into being able to do good. Um, that's that's something I believe, um, and it's it's part of my faith. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I look at my nephew, and he would just like to eat ice cream all day. Would he? Yeah, I, 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 I challenge you to. I, I I challenge you to to speak to him, and ask him if he thinks it's right. I mean, maybe if he's a little kid, right? Um, but I I don't think somebody who's who has come into the age of you know um, usually when somebody's a bar mitzvah or you know I guess confirmation or you know. And adulthood, um, I, I don't think somebody at that age would be happy with themselves just sitting eating ice cream all day. And you see, I mean, the people who sit and play video games all day, they're not happy. I don't have to tell them they're not happy. They know they're not happy. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I still, I don't know, I, I have trouble kind of conceding how I should behave to, to I don't know, let's, let's use Campbell's words, to follow my bliss, to see, to, to listen to myself, to tell me what to do. I didn't say bliss. I, I, I certainly didn't say bliss. And I certainly don't believe intuition. And in okay, fact, Okay, so I what did I misunderstand? Okay. Um, so... The Hasidic philosophy that I ascribe to, um, and I, I, I don't want to represent it as if I'm, I'm, I'm some orthodox Chabad Hasid, I'm not. Um, but Chabad Hasidus uh, is based on the concept, it's, it's named Chabad because of the three intellectual faculties, right? And it's named that because the whole point is that the mind should rule over the heart, right? That um, your intellectual faculties, your Chabad, needs to rule over the, the animal soul within you. Okay. Um, and so I, I didn't say people should do what feels right. I said people should fight against what feels right and do what they know is right. And those two do not line up unless you are some saint, right? Unless you are a much better person than 99.9% .9 of people I have ever met. You, you are not doing everything you know to be right. You just aren't. And if you're, you tell me you are, I, I suspect you're lying. Well, I definitely am not, but... <laughs> I, I, I don't think any, any reasonable adult would, would actually say that they do everything. And, and it's... You know, you can ask it in the simple things. Okay, do you do you get up every morning at the 
you're supposed to and eat what you're supposed to and um, do work on things as you're supposed to, read what you're supposed to, it, it, everything you logically believe is right. Um, and everybody's going to say that they have a struggle with their animal soul. Um, and that struggle is what leads people to want to understand God. Because once you understand there is a struggle between your soul and your, your, your eternal soul, the, the breath of life that God breathed into you from himself, and the animal soul that was made out of the clay, out of the, 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 the we say Goshmius, um, the, the material, right? The, the biggest problem is the people who are materialists, right? They believe there's nothing beyond the material and they can't see the conflict. Like what's Sam Harris's big, biggest blind spot? He doesn't understand what is cannot tell you what ought to be, right? Sure. You can't look at the material world and understand the spirituality. And once you are looking for that ought and you understand that you yourself are not capable of it, that's when you start to pray. That's when you start to learn. And it's the beginning of wisdom. It's, it's the beginning... It, that's when you start to actually think about God, when you recognize that that dichotomy. But then you still, let me get this straight, then you still have no idea who or what God is, right? It, it's still very abstract. God has to be abstract. I mean, I have spent years and years and years trying to get to know God. Um, I have studied many, many texts, um, and I, I believe many of the texts that I have studied are, um, show the way to God. Um, I believe that the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, is from God, and it is uh, available to all people. That's why um, I make YouTube videos. Uh, I, I started making YouTube videos a few months ago, uh, just helping people use the various um, the various tools available on the internet. Uh, because I think miraculously, God has made that possible for us in this generation in a very unique way for people to engage directly with the Hebrew and directly engage with God. And I do believe that that revelation has brought me much closer to God than I was before I, I, I started my journey. I hope I am much closer to the fruit. And I think that I have moved in some ways. I hope uh, I've grown. But that that is that is an eternal struggle and how god reveals himself to you is not something i am going to be able to see because i am not you
So maybe God reveals himself to you through, you know, Buddhist texts and, and medica- meditation. We have, to some extent, we have to have faith in God. If you seriously believe that there is a God, which I do, and that God created us, which I do, and that God loves us like a father loves his son, which I do, then God is making it easy for us, as easy as he can, to actually um, to actually get to be able to get closer to God. Now, how that manifests in each person's life, I don't know. Um, I see a lot of things in the world I don't understand. And um, (laughs) so I'll tell you another story. Um, Go ahead. This is from the Talmud. um, And it talks about three rabbis. I forget the names of two of them, but one of them was, I believe, Rabbi Akiva. And the three of them um, saw, saw a jackal or some animal coming out of the ruins of the temple. And, um, and the two of them started, you know, weeping. They're like, look what's happening, what's happened to God's house. And Rabbi Akiva started rejoicing um, because he said that this was necessary. This is what this was part of God's plan to finally make that temple not made with hands, which I found out yesterday actually um, is is in the Christian Bible as well. Yeah, of the temple not made by hands, um, which I found was really interesting. Um, but so there's there's a lot I don't understand about God, but I I believe God is making it possible for us, um, and I, I don't think I have to I have to you know convince anyone. I just have to make it possible and easier as much as I can for other people to. Um, engage in, with God directly, um, and that's why I'm 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 making my videos, um, and hopefully it's helpful. I mean, I, I think most of the people who watch it actually are uh, my videos, but um, even so, um, you know, uh, okay, whatever they're what, whatever they're watching, all I can hope is that it. It allows them to more directly engage with God. And then beyond that, I have faith in God. You have to have faith in God. Um, God knows what he's doing. Even, I mean, I would, I would never have burnt down the, the temple in Jerusalem. But God did that. And he, he knows why. I don't. Uh, but it needed to happen. And, you know, hopefully one day we'll uh, get, um, and actually this, this part from Isaiah was quoted 
um, in, in Hebrews, in the Christian Bible, um, God says, I will, um, I will cut a new covenant with you, right? And man will no longer need to teach man to, to know God, right? Because everybody will know. We, we won't need teachers anymore. And that, that coming of the Messiah where we no longer need teachers, I look forward to that every day. And I think we're moving towards that. I really do. I, I, I honestly believe that the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, and uh, which people have not fully integrated the news, the good news that is the discovery of the of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's it's happened within my lifetime, um, and the the tools to directly engage with God, uh, which also has happened within my lifetime. Uh, I remember when I was an undergraduate, I was first starting to learn Hebrew, um, and uh, so the person who uh, who had possession of the Dead Sea Scrolls for a long time was a vicious anti-Semite. Um, and honestly, I believe that was a miracle from God too, because he wouldn't let any Jews near the text, mm. right? Um, he, he made sure there were no Jews anywhere near the text until he was able to... Um, until he was able to photograph all of them, you know, make sure, you know, because he, he there's long been this distrust of the Hebrew Jewish Bible because Christians did not keep a Hebrew version of the Bible for of themselves, right? There's long been this distrust of what's called the Masoretic text. And the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the fact that this man was an anti-Semite was necessary for Christians to now be able to directly engage in the Masoretic text, knowing that this is the text that it hasn't been messed with, right? Um, and, you know, when, when we read the Torah in um, in synagogue, two witnesses stand there to give their testimony. And it's necessary to have two witnesses, right? Because you can't just go on the word of a single witness. And I, I honestly believe the Dead Sea Scrolls are a second witness that in our day have, it's, it's like what, uh, 10 years, 15 years, maybe 20 years that uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls have been available to the public so that everyone can know, no, this is, this is the text. This is the text. This is the Hebrew. This is God's message to us. Um, and it's miraculous. I, I, I sincerely believe that. Uh, and, and so... And in this generation, we have that opportunity, which nobody had. You know, very, very few people 
Well, I, I don't think anybody could have been as sure as we are or have dealt, uh, looked into the Bible with the depth that we do now. Um, I don't think anybody had that before this generation. And I, I, I very much, I believe that this is the generation, I, I hope this is the generation when the Messiah is coming. Um, and honestly, I, I think the Dead Sea Scrolls and the internet are, to me, obvious signs of that. Huh. So if, if I'm, I'm not too familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, but if I understand you correctly, um, they were later copies of a certain set of text and they're pretty much still identical. So they show no signs of, they, they, uh, let's see, they show that there has been no tampering with the originals. Do I get that right? Right. So because we can date the scrolls from, uh, first of all, apparently the people at Qumran may have been early Christians. It's not, it's not a hundred percent sure. But um, we're talking around the year 200 CE, right, of the Common Era. So 1,800 years ago, um, these texts are from back then. Um, and so, you know, there's always been this distrust that maybe the rabbis, because um, they don't believe in Jesus, had either inserted certain things um, and there are certain things, you know, in the Hebrew, which uh, don't <laughs> don't work so well for, for Christians, um, or had taken texts out. And um, these texts have, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls are dated back to, uh, you know, right around the temple times. Um, it's really inconceivable that this group which they definitely were not a um a pharisee group so all judaism today is descended from the pharisees right basically all the other jewish groups while there's a few of them um they've they've either you know converted to mainstream judaism pharisaic judaism or basically died out or converted to other religions or lost their uh, religion, whatever it is. So basically all Jews today are are Pharisees, right? Uh, they're from the rabbinic tradition. And um, the, the people at Qumran definitely were not part of the rabbinic tradition. They were, they were uh, Essenes, they may have been Sadducees, whatever they were, they were definitely not part of the rabbinic tradition. Hmm. Yet the text is almost exactly the same in every way. Um, ex uh, and it's the, the, the differences are so minor that they're negligible. It's, it's really a miraculous um, how close the text is. And, uh, you know, if you want to go with, with the Qumran text, you can. I don't believe that's the correct text. I believe that the that the scribes, the Sofrim, the Masoretic text is what was actually uh, preserved 
better, but um, it certainly put to rest this doubt that Christians had about whether the words are the same words. Hmm. I, I would definitely need to look into that because it, it's a subject I know very little about. Um, I want to go back a bit earlier to w what you said about the portal server. So you're saying there are the journey to God is usually in most religions depicted as a path. And if the portal server has so many atheists on it, which path do you think they're walking? What sort of discussions are they there? Do they talk about morality and philosophy? They do, somewhat. Um, I, I think we've started seeing um, the Jordan Peterson, Douglas Murray type, um, and even Brett Weinstein. Um, did you see Brett Weinstein's discussion with Richard Dawkins in Chicago? I did not. Definitely, definitely you should watch it. Um, the video is not very good. It was, it was messed up but it is available on YouTube. I believe it is the one of the most important um, intellectual events, it, possibly in recent human history, like really? in, in the With last Dawkins. 10 years. Dawkins and Brett Weinstein. And Brett Weinstein is an atheist, and he needed to be an atheist for this to happen. Um. He is also an evolutionary biologist, and he deeply believes in evolutionary biology. Studied the works of Dawkins very closely, and he just destroyed Dawkins on stage. Um, one thing uh, Brett Weinstein once said on uh, Dave Rubin's show is, atheism is defensible, New atheism is not. Hmm. And I, I, I am glad, you know, somebody like Brett Weinstein, even though I, I think he might not understand. Um, it's funny. Once he commented on this Facebook group he runs, he commented, yeah, I have this strange feeling that my whole life I've, has, I, I've been preparing for the place I am now. Um, and I just laughed and I re replied, I don't understand how somebody can say something like that and then still claim to be an atheist. Right. But I, I, I think to some extent, um, you know, I, there is an element of um, Pharaoh. You know, it, it says in the Bible that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right. Um, he. he at, at the first plague, Pharaoh was, was willing to let the, uh, the Jews go, but God hardened his heart so that the ten plagues could play out. Yeah, so that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It, it, it rubs a lot. You know, the, uh, it, it's, it's one of the biggest questions in Jewish theology. Mm. Uh, why, why does God do that? How does God do that? Uh, how is that fair to Pharaoh, right? Um, but um, it's, I, I think in order for history to uh, play out as it needs to, 
certain people need to need to be in certain places and um, play certain roles. And uh, you know, if if Brett Weinstein actually believed in God, Dawkins would have dismissed them, and everybody would have dismissed them. Mm-hmm. But he just wiped the floor with Dawkins. Absolutely wiped the floor with Dawkins, I believe. Um, and in within atheist, you know, bio, Darwinian biology, 100%, right? Just said, you know, by with words that I would have never had, um, he said religion is part of the extended phenotype of humanity. And... Dawkins, you could see, was was absolutely shocked at the idea, repulsed by the idea. <laughs> and, you know, what exactly that means, I, I, I highly recommend watching the, the video. But that's also been a crack in, in the new atheist thing. So now you have people like Douglas Murray go around and say... Um, I'm an atheist, but I'm a Christian atheist, right? right. Mm. Uh, and you, you, you have a lot of people who were anti-religion, right? Believed in the new atheist way. And they're, they're seeing that, no, no, no. Religion is an important part of human life. And even if they're not convinced that there is a God, they are moving towards that time when man will no longer have to teach man, right? When we will all know when God will give us a pure, um, Stefania um, 3.9, I, I quote that um, at the end of each of my videos. It says, um, actually, I have it here. Um, it says, Ki az epoch el amim, Right? For then, I will, uh, they translate it as I will restore. Uh, it, it actually means I will turn over, which I, I, I think is, is a very interesting uh, word there. But, epoch, right? I, I will turn over, el, uh, I mean, to the people's, Safabera, a clear language, um, literally a um, a winnowed language, right? So all all the sh- uh, chaff has been taken out of it. Likrochulam, uh, so that all of them may call Besham Havaya in the name of um, the Tetragrammaton, Leovdo Shem Echad, to serve him. Um, literally, it says with one shoulder. But meaning together, right? Um, but one shoulder, right? And I, I think we're seeing that. And I think, you know, certain people have to play certain roles in that. And part of that is they have to be at different places along the way so that they can help guide other people from where they are along the path. Um, and hopefully soon we will get there. But I, 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 I honestly think it's it's visible in our days. We're getting there. 
Well, it's definitely and what Peterson did for a whole bunch of people, just turning things around. and 100%. 100%. And to the extent where he needed to be a person who says, I, I, you know, I act as if I believe in God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of the oldest, um, <laughs> oldest uh, disagreements between Judaism and Christianity, right? What value is works without faith? Um, and in Judaism, we say, do, do the works and the faith will come, right? Mm-hmm. Do good works and the faith will come. Right. Uh, it's fun. It's funny. One of the one of the verses in in the Bible I find most peculiar. Uh, King David says to Saul, like the old proverb goes, right? So this is a verse that in the Bible is the Bible is quoting King David saying, "This is an old proverb," right? So. <laughs> It, it, at the time of the Bible, this was an old proverb. So it tells you how ancient it is, right? Rasha Yetzed Resha. From an evil person comes evil things, right? And in Christianity, a similar uh, thought is, uh, by their fruits you shall know them, mm. right? Look, I, I think... People who do good works, I think even if you do good things for the wrong reasons, um, and we believe this in Judaism, even if you do the right thing for the wrong reason, you um, you will come to do the right things for the right reason. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the old Plato versus Aristotle dichotomy, which, which one leads to which one, and they point it in different directions. We got about ten minutes well, left, I, I uh, by the way. We got Say about we got about ten minutes. Is there anything in particular you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about this more? Um. Well, I I thought maybe I should I should discuss um, Chabad uh, a little bit. So um, Chabad is. is. Excuse me. Which is I only know Lachaim, yeah. and that's where it stops. <laughs> so Chabad is a um, is a, a movement within Hasidic Judaism, right? So Hasidic, Hasidism um, developed about three hundred years ago. Uh, Rabbi Israel Baal Shem Tov in uh, Poland um, and his students, and um, it's it's really caught through through Judaism kind of like fire. It's it's been a it's been a very um, powerful movement within Judaism, a revivalist um, movement to to get people to think more about God, to have a a more close relationship with God. And uh, Chabad is possibly the best known, I mean, it's definitely the best known Hasidic movement. For a lot of people, it's it's how they know Judaism. So the example I'd like to give is, so 40, 50 years ago, certainly 60 or 70 years ago, very few people had ever heard of Hanukkah, right? You've heard of Hanukkah? Mm-hmm. Um, 
it it is a literally apocryphal. It comes from the apocrypha, so it's not from the Bible. Um, it's an apocryphal holiday. It, it was a very. It still is one of the most minor holidays in Judaism. There's very little involved in it. It's it's the last holiday that was that was created, um, and and so most people did not actually spend. You know, most it certainly was not a huge thing in Judaism, and um, the most recent Chabad Rebbe, the um, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Uh, who he passed in 1992, I want to say. Um, so he he's the one who started emphasizing Hanukkah because he believed that it was an important holiday for people. Um, and he based this actually on, on the language in the Talmud, which says um, that the most important part of the mitzvah of Hanukkah is to advertise, pirsume nisa, to advertise the, um, the miracle of Hanukkah, right? And based on that verse, he, he and his Hasidim um, started, you know, really emphasizing and advertising the miracle of Hanukkah um, through candle lightings all over the place. Uh, they ended up going to the U.S. Supreme Court uh, at least once, I think a couple of times, in order to get um, get Supreme Court uh, rulings allowing them to light Hanukkah ca uh, candles all over the place, which in turn helped nativity scenes be allowed all over the place. So there's actually, if you look up Chabad and Supreme Court, there are the Supreme Court cases regarding Chabad. Um, so, you know, and, and he was able to see um, just certain things uh, in, in, in our world, which is why I consider myself one of his students. Um, even though I, I started becoming, I mean, I, I had never heard of him, uh, when he died. Um, I, I started becoming, you know, I was, um, 14, 15 when he died, something like that. Right. Uh, but I, I still, I, I consider myself a student of him and that specific branch of Hasidism, um, and Hasidism, the, the Hasidic movement within Judaism, although obviously I, I do not, I am very, very far removed from being a Hasidic Jew, uh, being an observant Hasidic Jew, the way most people think, or the Hasidic community really views itself. Uh, I, I, I don't want to claim that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not part of that community like I used to be. Um, but I still very much believe uh, that there was something very fundamental going on, both, you know, with Rabbi Israel Baal Shem Tov 300 years ago, with his students, 
with um, his students, particularly the, the Hasidic dynasty of Chabad, and with the people who, to this day, um, I mean, Chabad keeps on growing. Uh, lots and lots of people have started identifying Judaism with Chabad. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, it's pretty important. I, 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 I still very much identify with Chabad. I never heard of it before. <laughs> um, it, it's funny, uh, I am guessing in most of Europe, the rabbis people are familiar with are Chabad rabbis. Um, in a lot of distant places, especially places where there aren't very many Jews, the only synagogue tends to be Chabad because um, Chabad sent, they're called shluchim, emissaries or agents of, of the Rebbe um, all over the world. And um, it, it, it's, it's certainly triggered an incredible revival within Judaism. Um, so Jews are looking towards religion a lot more. Um, a much larger percentage of Jews are religious today than I think was generally the case throughout history. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think in turn, it's, it's also, it's having its effect in, in the broader world as well. Um, uh, and hopefully, you know, uh, we're preparing the world for the coming of the Messiah. Um, and I, I really do believe that it, it, it is very much possible any day, um, Every single day, I, I wait for the Messiah to come. Hmm. And uh, this Rebbe you mentioned earlier, the one who, who passed in the 90s, uh, who was he again? His name was uh, Menachem Mendel Schneerson. He's okay. mostly known... Uh, so in Hasidism, the Grand Rabbi is usually referred to as Rebbe, R-E-B-B-E. -E. And so within uh, any Hasidic movement, the, the current grand rabbi is usually just referred to by Rebbe, that, that title. Uh, basically, it means rabbi, right? It's, it's, a, it's Yiddish of rabbi. Um, and so he's, because so many people, I mean, Chabad Hasidim just referred to him as the Rebbe. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's tons of information about him all over the internet. Um, and there are several books actually about his life and, uh, his movement. Uh, one of the better ones is, uh, the Rebbe's army. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's by some New York times, pe uh, people, I believe, you know, they, they weren't the people who wrote the book weren't religious, but just the, that book reads kind of like a ha hagiography, right? Because that's that's the life that he led. So even people who aren't um, religious at all, I, I was I'm not even sure they were they were Jewish. Um, just writing the biography of his life, it reads like a hagiography because it is the life of a very righteous person. Did he leave any writings himself? 
Oh, tons, tons. Um, one of the most miraculous things. So in Judaism, it's it's considered an incredible achievement to ask a new question on um, anything, basically, Ju Judaism related, because for thousands of years, thousands of people in yeshivas all over the world have been studying these texts and trying to ask every single question possible, right? So if you look at a rabbinic Bible, it's huge, and it's in Hebrew, which is much more compact than English, and there there are so many um, there are so many commentaries and commentaries on. So, just being able to ask a question that nobody's been able to ask before is considered an incredible achievement. And when his mother died for about three or four years, every Saturday um, he gave a uh, gave a discourse where he um, where he asked a new question on Humash uh, on Humash Rashi, which is uh, just the five books of the uh, Torah, right? Five books of Moses. And the first commentary everybody, like five year old kids learn this um, learn this five learn with Rashi's commentary. It's like the basic commentary that's that's printed everywhere. And when you're teaching your, your a five-year-old his the the Torah for the first time, you teach it with Rashi. And um, in honor of his mother who had taught him when he was five, had, had taught him uh, Humash Rashi for three years, every, at least three years, every single week, he asked a new question on Humash Rashi, and it, it was a new question, and, and he explained it in such beautiful ways. Um, honestly, reading those particular, um, those particular, uh, they're called sichot, um, speeches of his, uh, for me was an incredibly humbling experience because I mean that is asking a single question on Humash Rashi it is considered an incredible feat in Judaism it is it is it it doesn't happen very often that somebody comes up with a new question on Rashi yeah he sounds and like an extraordinary did. person he was he was mm. most definitely yes. Many many people believe, and some people still believe he's the Messiah. Um, I I would not go that far, uh, but I definitely could understand why. Mm. Well, Jacob, we've gone past the hour, so I uh, ah, this was a very interesting conversation, and there's a lot of stuff I need to go look up after this. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for uh, wanting to come and chat. Thank you. This was a great chat.